This is The Shift Podcast. I'm Martin Strong, in for Shane. Today on The Shift Daily Podcast, are tattoos still taboo? Janine Scott, tattoo artist and co-owner of Hemlock Tattoo in Calgary, tells us why Canadians get tattoos, the shifting attitudes of the art, and why she thinks the industry is desperate for regulations. Do you want Alexa to send you room service? Handy Andy Barrar tells us about his high-tech hotel stay created by Amazon. Are you okay with gift cards? How about Italian? All of that on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. Just over a week ago in Saskatchewan, a Cree woman was refused service at a brew pub in Prince Albert for an odd reason. Sarah Carrier Burns of James Smith Cree Nation met up with her cousins at the Prince Albert Brewing Company last weekend. Uh, She ordered this a weekend before last. She ordered a Diet Coke, but they said no. The reason she was refused service and asked to leave the pub was that Sarah has a small tattoo on her chin. It's a really small tattoo, but it's on her chin. In a video she posted on Facebook, you can hear the owner of the place say that face tattoos are against their dress code. The brew pub does have a large sign that outlines the dress code, and at the very top it says, individuals with tattoos from ear to ear wrapped around the neck racially offensive or gang-related will not be allowed on the premises. That's a big quote on this big, big poster, which I, I guess makes some sense. But Sarah describes her small chin tattoo as medicinal. She got it about a year ago, and it represents her cultural traditions and her children, including two children that she lost. And it's part of a nearly 10-year journey of sobriety for her. And uh, and also, coincidentally, last week right here on The Shift, Shane and Ryan got a really interesting call from a listener who admitted that she had recently been a little judgmental when she saw a person with a tattoo, only to realize she was totally wrong about that person. Uh, the person even ended up buying her breakfast. So it got us thinking about tattoos. It seems like uh, many people have them, very commonplace, but are they still stigmatized? Should we rethink tattoos and uh, think about what they are, what they represent? And to help us with that is a very talented tattoo artist working in Calgary. She's even tatted up our own Ryan O'Donnell. Janine Scott is co-owner of Hemlock Tattoo Studio. Thanks for being here, Janine. Hi. Hi there, Martin. It is nice to meet you. Nice to talk about this. Yeah. So <laughs> let's get into tattoos because I don't have any tattoos. My wife has a couple of tattoos. My son has tattoos. And it seems like it's very commonplace. But I guess my first question is kind of a big one. Uh, why does someone get a tattoo? That is a very good question. And also mm-hmm. one that is like has a lot of nuances to it. Yeah. There's so many reasons someone would get a tattoo um at my shop at hemlock tattoo there's like a large emphasis on sort of the healing aspect of getting tattooed so for a lot of folks you've probably met people in your life who get tattooed to mark a loss they've had in their life of a loved one or a pet a family member that kind of thing you could be marking a triumph in your life a um like a transition in your life but then there's also folks that are just like i want a cool flower on my arm. I like right. flowers, <laughs> right? And then yeah. it can also be too like healing in the aspect of you might have scars if they're self-harm scars or scars from a surgery. You might want to cover those. You might want to emphasize those. Um, it could be for body dysmorphia. So that could be anything. It's for folks who don't feel at home in their body for whatever reason. It can be gender stuff. It can be um, like body, just general body, like hatred stuff, fat phobia, um, getting tattooed can make people feel a lot more comfortable in their bodies, make them feel a lot more happy about the bodies that they have to exist in. So there is so many reasons people get tattooed. So many. 
Yeah. And I guess with tattoos, the one thing about tattooing as an art form, the one thing that tattoos have that other art forms don't have is permanence. It's there forever on your yeah. body. And I guess that's a huge thing for people. Yeah, 100%. The permanence is definitely like part of the reason it can be so connected to healing and identity. Um, and like in the case of that Cree woman you were discussing, like the permanence of tattoos has like a deep ancestral cultural meaning for thousands of years in human history, like a permanent marking on your skin. Like it makes sense to me that as humans that we would put significance on that, like a permanent marking on your skin. Um, yeah, the permanence does have a great significance. Yeah. I, before I talked to you, I was doing a little bit of reading about the history of tattoos and uh, they have found tattoos that go back to something like uh, 3000 BC yes. uh, on mummified remains. So it's amazing to think that that an art form has lasted that long. It's like a cave painting or something. Yes. It's amazing. Yes. Yeah. That's actually something I'm very fascinated by is just like the deep history of tattooing and how like there's a perception of what tattooing is today like this westernized version of tattooing that people maybe like that woman who initially was feeling judgmental towards someone with a tattoo there's this kind of like new modern uh <clears throat> sensibility around tattooing or like stigma around people with tattoos and it's just funny to me to think about when i'm like human history and tattooing go hand in hand like it is only recently that there is in sort of Western culture, this idea that tattoos have like a negative connotation, right? And that is changing and it hasn't always been that way, but um, it's just interesting that some folks don't know about or simply are just so steeped in the like, tattoos equal bad person. Uh, <laughs> when there's such a deep history with humans and getting tattooed, it's so much broader than what a lot of folks kind of perceive it as. Right, yeah, because when I was a kid, uh, the only people who had tattoos were sailors. You know, it was a it was only men, and it was always uh, you know a you know a, an ex sailor who got it when they were in you know French Polynesia or something. Yes, and then or or people who were in the military or something, and it definitely was not women. So, um, I mean, in in your sort of history of of doing this. Um, how has it changed between men and women? Because it seems like it's kind of equal now. That is a very good question. Also one that I could sit here and talk to you for hours about. Um, like the first part of that question where it's like talking about how it was usually men and sailors. Um, there's a large conversation that needs to be had almost outside of like men, men versus women getting tattooed of like why for the longest time were people not tattooed in Western white culture and it was because they were banned. And a lot of that was because of ancestral indigenous tattooing practices. Colonists banned those. And then years later, the Sailor Jerry movement kind of started. <clears throat> and that's when it started to get associated with folks in armed forces, but also gangs or organized crime, that kind of thing. It started <clears throat> being almost on the fringes of society. And that's yeah. how the culture started becoming one where it was um, much more men in the industry and much more men getting tattooed. <clears throat> there was absolutely women getting tattooed and women tattooing, but it was definitely more um, of a novelty. There are some women who are literally like in, in exhibitions to show off their body tattoos in the early 1900s. Um, really? But now these days, there's still a large discrepancy. Like the industry is a male dominated one and because it's such an unregulated industry, um, meaning there's no regulatory bodies, um, there's no HR department. It's definitely kind of like the wild west in the tattoo industry. There's been a lot of harm in the past hundred years done to women, non-men and people of color in the tattoo industry. And that can be people going to get tattooed and people working in the industry like myself. Um, it's definitely changing. There's obviously way more women tattooed these days than there used to be. Um, but there's still definitely a culture of um, just intimidation, feeling unsafe. There's a lot of women and non-men that I tattoo that um, express to me they never want to be tattooed by a man again. <clears throat> 
because of the harm they've endured. I started in the industry and I was immediately harassed immediately in my apprenticeship. Yes. Um, And that's a huge issue in the industry. Again, whether you're a client or a tattoo artist, um, it's an unfortunate reality in the industry. And that's part of the reason my shop exists the way it does. We really try to create a safer space somewhere where people won't feel intimidated and where they can um, come in and know they're not going to be harmed in the same ways that they might have been in other spaces. Wow. Do you feel it's getting better? Do we need more regulation? 100%. Yeah. Like a lot of the, um, like it is getting better for sure, but I feel like there'll always be shops and artists who are unwilling to look at these issues. A lot of men who just simply don't want to, they've just operated the way they have for so long that they have no interest in looking at how their practices harm others. Um, But yeah, it is changing. There are more shops, more studios, more artists who are willing to have public policies in place and really take care to offer an experience that takes into account the fact that there is a power imbalance. Um, There's an inherent power imbalance in a tattoo client relationship. As the artist, I'm the one causing you potentially physical discomfort you're the one paying me for the service. You might be in states of undress. You might be potentially, there might be other people around you when you're in states of undress. I'm the one that has the power. So if there's anything we can do to try and balance out that that imbalance, we're going to try to do it. Whereas there's been so long where that power imbalance has been taken advantage of, where artists, a lot of men artists will take advantage of, usually it's women clients, where they'll be in states of undress that don't need to be happening like they're getting their arm tattooed and they've been told to take their shirt off or something just as an example there are so many on the spectrum of inappropriate behavior to encounter in a tattoo shop there's a lot that can occur but we're really trying to balance out that power and balance acknowledge it have systems in place to um like help these things not happen and yes it is changing there's definitely more studios even just in calgary that are taking into account these things and trying to operate in just a more consent-based way Right. Interesting. We're talking to Janine Scott, co-owner of Hemlock Tattoo Studio, about tattoos and about uh, our changing attitudes towards tattoos. Um, And I I was looking online and you're on Instagram and uh, I saw some of your designs. They're very beautiful. A lot of these sort of gothic uh, (laughs) images and very, very detailed and very beautiful. But I'm just wondering, what's the most popular type of image for people these days? Is there one sort of style that everybody wants, or is it completely different for everybody? That's another really good question. And the industry has changed a lot, even within just the last like 10 or 12 years, especially with the advent of Instagram. Um, so I feel like the what people are looking for is even more broad than it used to be. It used to be 10 or 15 years ago, if you wanted a tattoo, You would walk into any walk-in shop and be like, hello, can anyone here do a realistic butterfly? Or can anyone do this portrait of my father? Or can anyone do this tribal piece on my arm? And more than likely, you'd probably find an artist there who can do something of what you're looking for. Or maybe you pick a flash design, a pre-drawn design from the wall. But now, again, with the advent of Instagram, the emphasis on personal style is so much greater. So you can really, as a client, not only research the artist you're going to, but find an artist whose style and imagery really speaks to you. So if you're looking for a realistic portrait of your father, you can find an artist who specializes in that and who loves to do it. If you're looking for something like I do, like these engraving style, gothic images, um, armor, that kind of thing, you find me, you're like, oh my gosh, I love this. Like Ryan, um, who reached out to me, who, um, I'm not actually sure how he's affiliated. He's a producer, correct? He's he's the producer of the shift, Ryan O'Donnell. Yeah, that's amazing. So Ryan um, got um, like an armored figure with uh, his family crest. Right. And he came to me because he liked the armor that I drew. So he found me, he liked the style. And that's a lot of what happens these days. People find the person who's really good at floral work and they go to that person. Someone who's really good at colorful, maybe like fandom pieces. I like anime. I'm going to go to this person. Um, so I feel like it's even more broad now, um, of styles and what people are getting. There's always going to be like trends that come and go of like things that are more popular and less popular, um, through the years. But yeah, I think it's more diverse now than it ever was like style wise and and subject matter. 
Yeah. Yeah. Cause for the first time in my life, the last few years I've thought about, Oh, it might be good to get a tattoo. It's funny how the older you get, the, the less, I mean, the less permanent it is because. Yeah. It, like because... the less. Yeah. <laughs> it's like not as big a deal. Yeah. So, so I was thinking, um, like I, I really have loved, uh, comic book artists my whole life cartoonists and i was thinking oh there's some cartoonists that i really like yeah. what what about sort of trademark issues are are can you just do anything do do you ever get in trouble from people who own a trademark like if you put a mickey mouse tattoo on somebody what what would happen that is another excellent question thank you um so it's definitely like there's almost like blurred lines in some ways, but the way I generally operate is I will never copy another artist's work. So like another tattoo artist, if someone is sending me a proposal for a custom piece and they've sent me a picture of someone, someone who tattoos in New York city and they're like, I want this. I'll be like, no, first of all, <laughs> like maybe I can like take some notes from that and reinterpret it in my way, in my design. And maybe we can work with that. So, um, and not every artist is like this. There are artists out there and you bring them a picture from Google of someone else's work and they will copy it. Like everyone has a different moral compass about this. Um, but yeah, I will not copy anyone else's work. Um, as far as like art history goes, I do a lot of art history reproductions. Um, generally that's fair game. These pieces are sometimes hundreds of years old, occasionally thousands. Um, but when it comes to like living artists and living illustrators, I always seek out either you have to reach out to that artist or illustrator and get explicit permission. Um, and sometimes that, uh, sometimes these illustrators have systems in place where you can pay them for the design. Not everyone does, but there are illustrators where you're like, I love this, this design. You can go on their website and they'll be like, buy the rights to get this tattooed. And it can right. be a range of a price. But if people are able to provide me the evidence that they've gotten permission, I can do it. Like um, you said, you like comics. Do you know, um, Frank Frazetta, is that his name? Oh yeah, Frank Frazetta. He Frank Frazetta yes. is the classic uh, side of a van kind of artist. Exactly, like very like Dungeons and Dragons fantasy yeah. based, like that kind of vibe. Um, I had someone who wanted kind of an interpretation of one of his illustrations and um, reached out. We both did, like my client did and I did, to his estate, and it's actually run by his daughters. And they gave permission. They didn't require um, any money, but they did give permission as long as credit was given to their father. So we were able to do a kind of a, it wasn't an exact reproduction of this illustration, but it was definitely inspired by. So it was really right. cool to like get, get the permission from his estate. So yeah, it's definitely like, use your common sense, uh, right? Like don't go copying someone else's art. As far as a Mickey Mouse goes, like I feel like that's fair game. Um, I don't think Disney's going to come after you for getting a Mickey Mouse tattoo. Yeah, yeah, because because the ones that I'm thinking of are like from Mad Magazine or something. Oh yeah, the, yeah. Those kind of those kind of characters. Yeah, so, totally. Let's talk about uh, uh, before I let you go about your background. How did you get into this? Did you did you go to art school? Yeah. Um, so I did go to art school. Um, I had wanted to tattoo in. I probably started wanting to in junior high um, and then into high school I started like really considering it like that could be a cool career for me um, as an artist and like I guess at the time too I was uh, very much aware and concerned that like the only thing I'm like truly good at is art like how how the hell am I gonna <laughs> make this into a career I didn't really know but tattooing seemed like a an option to me but I somehow knew I don't really know why or how I knew this I wasn't tattooed but I was like I know this is a hard industry to get into and it is it's competitive a lot of people want to be tattoo artists for a good reason it's if you're an artist it's an amazing job yeah. um so my plan was to go to art school um to because you don't need to go to art school to be a tattoo artist you don't you don't need to um but for me it was almost like I want an education and if tattooing doesn't work out I love art history maybe I can do something with that a master's degree something I wasn't quite sure, but I was like, I'm gonna get my education and kind of pursue tattooing on the side kind of thing. So that's what I did. I got my bachelor's degree in fine arts um, with a major in painting. All the meanwhile, again, like I, I had shopped my portfolio around. I had tried a couple things. Um, nothing had really panned out. I was kind of getting discouraged, but I wasn't, I hadn't quite given up. And then the most random way, uh, I literally had an art Instagram, the same one that is now my professional tattoo Instagram where I had illustrations, stuff that's tattooable. And in my uh, bio, I had written seeking tattoo apprenticeship just in case 
someone who might want to hire me came upon it and that's how it ended up happening the last tattoo shop I worked at the first one I ever worked at the owner reached out to me hi I like your work do you want to talk and that's how my apprenticeship began um unfortunately my story does have a lot of bumps in it because the shop that I started at was the same one I was harassed at almost immediately and that was like a very dark side of my apprenticeship where I I was acutely aware of the fact that had I entered this space as a man that it wouldn't have happened I would have been able to learn in peace and not have to worry about this situation where I was like do I tell someone do if I tell someone does it ruin my does it ruin this opportunity do I get fired like I don't know what will happen I don't trust the owner yet I don't really know this person what do I do if I had entered as a man that just like it's it shocks me to this day that I would have wouldn't have had to deal with it I just simply wouldn't have had too because it was it was sexual harassment it was based simply on the fact that I was a woman entering the space um and then that was the first domino in um me and the other women I met at the studio which is three of them who now own Hemlock so there's four of us in total it was the first domino in all of these issues within the tattoo industry becoming very clear to us um a lot of the harm that can occur, all of these things, the first domino, and then there's many more in the following year until we had to leave that space. Um, and we, when I say we, I mean the, the team that now owns Hemlock, it's like right. the four of us, we're all women. Um, we had all really connected. We had um, like really become very, very close friends. And like, we all know, knew we needed to leave. We could not stay in the space. Like morally, we simply couldn't. Um, but we also didn't want to not work with each other. So we took a massive leap of faith in 2020 (laughs) COVID times, like deep, deep pandemic times to open our own studio and to do it in a way that would reflect our values and be a response to um, the harm we had endured and the harm that so many people endure and still endure in the tattoo industry. Um, And at that point I had only been tattooing for like a year and a half minus like lockdowns, um, which is wild to think about um I could not have predicted that a year like a little more than a year into my tattoo career that I would be opening my own studio that was not the plan I pictured like oh maybe one day um (laughs) that's how it happened and it's been really 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 rewarding like um even though it was hard um the rewarding aspect of it has been just the biggest most lovely thing about the experience as a whole so that's how that's how it happened it was very the whole situation was a roller coaster very random Wow. Well, I, I'm sorry you had to go through that, but it sounds like it it's led to something bigger and better. Yes. And uh, I wish you all the luck in the world. Hemlock thanks. Tattoo Studio in Calgary and uh, Janine Scott. Uh, thanks so much. And if people want to see your work on Instagram, where do they go? Um, they can either go onto our shop Instagram. So Hemlock Tattoo Studio on Instagram. If you look it up on Google, you'll find it. On Instagram, you'll find it. And then my personal professional Instagram is spitting smoke that's my handle um and then you can my work there spitting smoke well thanks janine it was a pleasure to talk to you yeah thank you so much it was really good to talk about this with you this is the shift podcast Not only a tech giant, a tech expert, but also the snappiest theme music in the business. Uh, Handy Andy, Andy Barrar is here. Uh, hi, hi, Andy. How are you? I'm great, Martin. It's been a while since we uh, last chatted, so I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, that's true. And uh, I was at your website, handyandymedia.com, and it's always a, a good read on your on your uh, website. There's always some projects that you're involved in. And we're going to talk about uh, in-room voice tech for hospitality, like for hotels and stuff. But before we get to that, I'm just wondering what your house is like. Uh, Is it all voice technology in your house? 
It, it is. And I've had it for about, I, th I was an early adopter, Martin, about 2017 is when I retrofitted my house with all these smart lights. Uh, that's when the, these smart speakers really kind of came on the scene. And I've been using them for almost five years now. So uh, definitely an early adopter. Now this, um, this technology of these smart home and, and voice assistants, it's actually moving into hotels. So now you'll be able to ask Alexa uh, what the Wi-Fi password is for your hotel room. And Martin, I just came back from Quebec uh, to have this experience firsthand at the first Fairmont Hotel uh, in the world and the first in Canada, first hotel in Canada to have these Alexa Echo smart speakers and displays inside every single hotel room. So uh, it, it's, it was funny because I've, I've had this experience at home and now I'm in a, in a hotel room asking Alexa to set the uh, alarm on and, you know, to turn different devices on and off. So it's very, very similar. Yeah, I guess it, it makes perfect sense because when you're in a hotel, you're always phoning the front desk to ask things yes. or there's the concierge and you, you wonder, is there a vegetarian restaurant nearby? And so this is just sort of wired microphones everywhere that go to Google. So it, 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 what, what exactly is the hardware that's going to be involved? Yeah, that's a good question. It could be two different types of hardware because they have what's called smart speakers. And for Amazon, they have the Echo line of smart speakers. And they come in different sizes, some as small as a little puck uh, to a bigger size speakers. But they also have Martin smart displays. These are like little tiny TVs that you would put bedside or they even have bigger ones up to 15 inches that you can mount right onto the wall. And, and the way it works is... Those smart displays are basically a smart speaker with a display. And in the hotel room, the one that I stayed at the Fairmont in, in Quebec, they had a, a little 8-inch smart display bedside. And so what it's doing is showing you the weather. And the hotel can actually work with Amazon to have whatever they want on that display. So I could see the pictures of the restaurant inside the hotel room. But uh, they could program, like, if, if it's a, a ski resort, they could show, like, the different mountains. So they can customize what the guest is going to uh, experience. But just like you said, the guest can then use it as their personal concierge. So they could ask, Alexa, where's the ice machine? What's the password? What time does the pool close or open? And... Um, I need to check out later. Alexa, you know, I need to have a late checkout. Stuff like that that you would ask the front desk, you can now ask the smart speaker. But the interesting thing was, Martin, and I was very curious on how they were going to kind of mitigate the privacy features because not everybody would feel comfortable with that. And so I wanted to see how they were going to mitigate that. And the way they did it is you have to opt in. So when you go into that room, that microphone's off. You actually have to turn it on. And then there's this little kind of pamphlet there that tells you all the different commands you could use it. And that ensures that if you don't want to use it, you don't have to. But if you do, you can unmute that mic and then start talking to the echo speaker and ask Alexa different questions. Yeah, I never really thought about that. All of a sudden, you're being, you feel like you're being listened to. Yes. Yeah, that, that would be a, a concern. So, so basically, the, the, it, it understands. If you just said, where's the ice machine to Google right now on, on your home computer, you'd get a lot of different answers. But in the hotel, it, it somehow would be able to figure out that you mean, where's the ice machine in this hotel? Yes, because this is a service that Amazon is providing to the hospitality industry. So they would work with the hotel. It's not like they just went and put one of these smart speakers in and, and walked away. They're actually developing like the API, the back end of, of this service to whatever the hotel wants. So they say, we want to promote our restaurants. They're like, yeah, we could put that on the screen or here's the commands we want um, people to ask. Like, what's the Wi-Fi password? Uh, what time? Uh, is checkout tomorrow, stuff like that, that you would normally ask the front desk, they can actually work with Amazon. But this is a subscription service. So the hotels are actually working with Amazon for the long term to create this service and move it out. And so when you think about staff shortages and stuff, it might make sense for them to do this and to have this kind of service, especially when more and more people are using this in their, in their homes and they want that same experience when they're in a hotel 
Or it could go the other way, Martin, where they might have, this might be the first experience with a smart speaker and someone might go, honey, this was amazing. We need to have this uh, bedside at home. So I think it can kind of work two ways, but introducing people to voice assistants, because this is just another example of artificial intelligence. You know, we talk about chat GPT all the time, but this is something that you could actually like interact with, with your voice. And I think that's what could potentially make it a killer feature in the future if we more, uh, you know, as consumers, we get more and more accustomed to talking to smart speakers like this. Yeah, it's kind of like virtual reality. They've been talking about it forever. And they've been talking about these smart speakers. But I, I just don't think that they've really caught on. And do you feel like there's going to be a point like a year or two years, three years from now when all of a sudden they're really going to catch on? I think, you know, Martin, just by looking at how most people interact with them, they'll use it to like, you know, tell me a dad joke and, and stuff like that. It's when you integrate it with the other smart home products. So when you can turn your lights on and off, when you can, you know, play your favorite podcast, and when you have these smart speakers in different parts of your home, you can then broadcast that same podcast, say, in the bathroom in your bedroom and in the kitchen. So when you wake up in the morning, you could listen to your favorite show. And as you're moving around the house, that same music is playing. People don't do this, Martin. I've been doing this every day. It's life-changing. One suggestion I told Shane Hewitt was, Shane, get a smart plug. And then with your smart assistant, ask your coffee machine uh, maker to turn on with the smart plug by connecting it. That changed my life, Martin, because I'm in bed and I go, Alexa, turn the coffee maker on. And by the time I get in the kitchen, that coffee maker is on and I got a fresh cup of coffee. That was a life-changing um, kind of like hack that I did. And I'm trying to encourage people to do that. And I think the hospitality industry will take advantage of, of that too. So that in the future, if it's too hot in your room or you like a certain degree temperature, you're going to be able to ask Alexa. And if they retrofit all the thermostats to a system like that, they can then offer that kind of experience. So you could have it both at home and then on the road when you're staying at different types of hotels. And I think that's where the future is. It's just going to take people time. And that's why they created that pamphlet of different things that you could say to it, because intuitively you might not know what you could ask from that smart speaker. But if they can just give you a little nudge, like try this, try this, over time, I think we'll become accustomed to it and then use that on our day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, that, that sounds like that, that makes sense to me. Um, let, let's talk about some of the smart home devices because we're talking about these, uh, you know, voice technology things. But what about uh, smart home devices uh, that are going to help people who are getting older and they're having trouble staying in their home, aging in place. Um, what kind of smart home devices are we going to see for that? Yeah, I think, and I've been thinking about this for my own family, Martin, because uh, we had a loved one recently go into assistive care and, and I haven't been able to see my aunt uh, for a while. And after coming to this event and I was looking at this display, I'm like, you know, if I can get her to interact with this or just at least answer a call and I have one of these smart displays in my house and she has one bedside, I can do a video call almost instantaneously where I can kind of just check in on her and provided that she can answer that call and she can do it either by touching it on the display or just by accepting it through voice. Then I could have that one-on-one that -on -one video call. And I was thinking that for a lot of people, when you have elders and they're, they're living on their own or they're in some type of an assisted care facility, that's a great way of, of connecting and, and talking with them. But in my case, for my family member, you know, my aunt, I think she has dementia or Alzheimer's. We're still waiting for that diagnosis. So I'm, I'm interested in experimenting with this to see if I do set this up bedside. Can I be able to have those video calls with her if I can just show her how to accept those calls? But it's a great way for, you know, to drop in for your loved ones to check in on them and do it via video because some people might not have the cognitive capacity to answer a Zoom call on a smartphone or, or you know, FaceTime. But if they could do it on a bedtime display that's just sitting beside them, I think that could be a game changer. And it's something that after I left from this event, I was really thinking that I should try to implement and see if we could work that out. Because if it does work, that would be an absolute game changer for my family because I can, at any time I have a quick moment, I can do a video call with her and just see how she's doing. Yeah, and that's a, a classic struggle with technology is uh, older people 
the yeah. el- elders. And I, I guess it's not going to be a problem forever because soon really old people are going to be people who are good at computers and they know how to work things. But now, uh, a lot of older people, they're intimidated by this kind of stuff. And I guess if you can make it really easy to use and really, really intuitive, uh, they can use it. And that's what I'm thinking about with these uh, Echo smart displays, this little eight inch display. They actually gave me one uh, to take home. And then as soon as I was looking at it, I'm like, I know exactly what I want to try this with. So I'm going to actually set it up with her, Martin. And I want to see if I can kind of just nudge her if it's easy enough that she just presses one button and now you can have a video call. You know, that that device is going to be perfect. Even though it can do all these other things, I just needed to do that one thing and it would be an absolute game changer. And if it works, I will then recommend other people do that. When you have loved ones that may live alone and, you know, suffering from loneliness, you're going to be able to tap in and have that face-to-face connection, albeit over video chat, but still an easy way to connect. Uh, and right now, I want to ask you about uh, smart plugs. Now, I, I'm not 100% sure I, I understand what a smart plug is. I, I just think it's like a wall plug that also has a USB in it. But it's much more than that, isn't it? Yeah. So a smart plugs, basically, this here's how it works. It's a little tiny device, Martin, that you would hook or plug into the outlet of your wall. And then whatever device that you want to plug into your outlet, you would first go into your smart plug. So it's in between the outlet and your device. And inside it has a little Wi-Fi card, so it can connect to your Wi-Fi network. And more importantly, it connects to your smart speaker or your smart display. And that gives you a lot of different options. One... You can control and turn devices on and off via voice. So if you have a lamp and every time you plug that lamp in, it turns on. Well, what you could do, like basically it has a switch that stays on or off. What you could do is you keep it on all the time. But then with the smart plug, you can turn it off with your voice. I gave you the example that I was telling Shane about connecting your coffee maker to a smart plug that allows you to turn that coffee maker on and off via voice. You just need to be with the close vicinity of your smart speaker to do that. The other option is you could do it remotely on your phone. And a good example of this is say you want to have your bedroom nice and warm, say you, you know, and you don't want to use the uh, electricity or sorry, you don't want to use the central heating system that you have just like a, a radiator heater, one of those portable heaters, maybe it's in your garage or whatnot. With a smart plug, what you could do is set a schedule so that that device will go on at a certain time or turn off at a certain time. Or say if you're commuting back home, you can on your phone, turn that heater on so by the time you get home, it'll be nice and warm. And you can have even a schedule that after, say, 11 p.m., it always turns off. So it gives you a lot of control on the different types of devices that you have uh, in and around your home. Another thing they can do is also track how much energy use these devices are using. So some smart plugs, you can enter what your energy rate is in your particular area, and it will track how much energy consumption that uses and how much you have to pay, whether it's per day, per week, or per month. So for example, you might have an extra fridge that's in your garage, and you always wondered, you know, is it a good investment? Should I keep this on all the time? Well, with the smart plug, keep it on for about a week. You'll know exactly what you pay to keep that extra fridge on. So it can help you save money as well. And they're only from, in terms of pricing, anywhere from $10 to $20. So usually you can buy them in bundles of four and then put a variety of different devices, make them smart and save money in the process. Oh, very, very cool. Smart plugs. And in the time we have left, I want to talk about uh, voice assistance in your cars, chat GPT. What are we looking at there? Yeah, well, we were just talking about like using services like Alexa in the home, in the hotel. Well, the last frontier, Martin, is in the vehicles. And it looks like General Motors is going to be using the API of chat GPT to then bring voice assistance into vehicles. And the best way to describe this, Martin, is Knight Rider. If you remember the (laughs) TV show Knight Rider and Kit, I think we're almost there that you're going to be able to talk to your car. If you, uh, say, have a warning sign, your car will notify you and tell you what to do. If you have a flat tire, you might get a YouTube video on the display to show you how to change it. But I think Kit is actually going to come to to reality in the near future with this integration of voice assistance into vehicles. Yeah, I, I get, and I guess that's going to be in every car very soon. I, I think so. I think all the manufacturers are watching what's happening right now and saying that we have to get this in. 
It's going to be interesting, Martin, because they're going to have to bring connectivity into the vehicles for all this to work because smart speakers work with Wi-Fi in the home. We'll have to see how that works out in vehicles. Yeah, well, I always love talking to you because you're right at the forefront. And uh, I, I would love to get a tour of your house one of these days. Uh, handy Andy, handyandymedia.com, uh, handyandymedia.com. Andy Barrar, uh, thanks for talking to us. It's always a pleasure. Thanks, Martin. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you, are you, are you, okay, 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 are you okay with, okay, Ryan, first up, are you okay it. with gift cards? Well, it kind of depends on where it's a gift card to, because sometimes you get those gift cards and you're like, oh, and then you put it in the wallet and you forget about it for like. 10 years and oh i have a gift card to this place that has the company's old logo on it hmm i found one of those the other day for uh like a restaurant uh like a group restaurant chain one and i haven't checked if it actually works but then also you get like the super like universal good gift cards like you know an amazon one or a visa mastercard or for me the lego store if it's <laughs> any of those three things that is a damn good present right there see the lego store is an excellent one because great one because i i i hate to get a gift card or give a gift card to something that the person doesn't really want or mm -hmm. whatever or you could give them a, one of those visa cards which is great but then it's just money you're just giving the money which is fine it's probably a good way to give a gift card but a lego card means that you have to buy Lego with that. And, you know, probably, uh, as an adult, there are other things you could spend your money on than Lego. Well, there, there absolutely are other things that I could yeah. spend my money on, but does that mean that I want to spend? Yeah. Money? And you, and it takes away the guilt because you have to spend it on Lego. Exactly. And so you exactly. go in and, and, yeah. uh, and what would you buy? Would you get like a Batman set or you know, uh, they just started making Indiana Jones Lego sets for the first time since 2008, and I got my eye on uh, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that's expensive. So, hey, uh, gift cards. Uh, I know my mom and dad are listening right now, and I know my birthday's not till November. But if uh, yeah, so I'll see you in November. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently, gift cards. Uh, companies that give out gift cards, they make a lot of profit from them because a very high percentage of them uh, don't get used and they just sit in a drawer there i can tell you that when i worked at eb games uh which is now gamestop there was a real sort of motivation to if somebody's coming in to trade their games and they're going to get in-store credit try to make sure that they get put the in-store credit towards something in the store or a gift card, not a Visa debit card or anything like that, because the company wants the money to stay within the company, right? Which makes yeah. which made a lot of sense to me, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But you are right; there are there's uh, hundreds of dollars that don't go claimed. I remember vividly a guy came in with a gift card that was so old that um, it was actually when we scanned it. It didn't really show up, but the company had to go back through the records and realize that there was $250 from a trade-in from 10 years ago. And it was before the law in Canada where gift cards uh, could expire. That wasn't always a thing. Gift cards could expire. Right. And uh, I believe the company did honor it because it was so much money from a trade and they were able to find all the receipts and everything. But yeah, it's, the guy was sitting on what is essentially like six new games well, these days, like two new games and a bunch yeah. of stuff. So, you know, check your gift cards, man. Yeah. You never know what's on them. Yeah, and, and gift cards make a great wedding gift, for example. Uh, as, as long as the company uh, for the, the, the card is for still exists, um, one person in Calgary is warning other people to make sure to use their gift cards. After she tried to pay with the gift card and was told she couldn't because the business is going out of business. And the crazy thing is that business 
Bed Bath & Beyond. It was very frustrating. We were really looking forward to being able to, to use our gift card. She was able to up until March 9th, but even though the soon-to-be-closed retailer is still open, it's not accepting gift cards. We thought in Alberta we were more protected with our gift cards, that we didn't have to, you know, use it right away. And so it was a, quite a surprise to learn that with bankruptcy that you aren't able to use the gift cards. Many consumers have been locked out of using gift cards over the last number of years. COVID did a number on many businesses, and that continues in 2023. In most cases, when a business closes, their gift card is, is basically worthless. David Lewis is a licensed insolvency trustee. He says gift cards may be the gift of choice, but they come with risks, especially when a business goes out of business. The consumer could file a claim in the bankruptcy if they know the amount that's left on the card. However, it's pennies on the dollars. And that's assuming that there's enough money to get from uh, priority creditors, secured creditors, and other creditors. You're at the bottom of the list. And Wilburn contacted Bed Bath & Beyond several times to find out what she can do with her gift card. And she said she had been told that she can use them in the U.S. because that's where Bed Bath & Beyond is still going. But uh, here, in, here in Canada, Bed Bath & Beyond is expected to fully wrap up operations end of this month. That's kind of crazy. I will be honest, I will miss the smell. Bed Bath & Beyond <laughs> is the, one of the best smelling stores you yeah. could walk into. It's like this weird hybrid of laundry detergent and a candle. Like I can't <laughs> quite describe it, but if you know what I mean, you know what I mean. Oh, absolutely. And I just, the, the gift card thing seems sketchy the fact that a company can say we're not accepting gift cards which is essentially money to our own store like about a month or two before they're out of business like i i understand why but it seems kind of scummy and i yeah. know nordstrom is doing the same thing there's a cutoff uh for nordstrom before they're completely out of business where you can't can't use the gift cards anymore and she i forgot to write she actually had 250 dollars in bed bath beyond Wow. Uh, stuff that's 250 bucks at a going out of business sale that could get you a lot of good stuff for your first house after getting married so that's a lot of a lot stuff. of stuff that smells like candles and uh and laundry detergent and laundry detergent it's true yeah okay well moving on are you okay with italian italian, italian. oh i love the italian uh i i do love italian it's such a interesting language yeah. you know like just uh the the inflection the way it spoke uh, you know there's the fast way of speaking the slow way it's very similar to spanish actually like if you listen to an italian have a conversation in italian and a spanish person uh in have it in spanish there's a lot of similarities there but it is a very cool language that i don't think i will ever take the time to learn personally it's no. just other <laughs> languages that are pretty high up on my learn list and mainly french and spanish yeah, I, I, I love Italian food, and I love hearing Italian people talk. I don't always understand it. I love yeah, Italian yeah. movies. Yep, absolutely. There's this new movie coming out that I saw the trailer for called, oh, I, I forgot. Anyway, Robert De Niro is playing like an Italian, like he's in a family, and, you know, and he's visiting like his, his son's wife's house, and they're all rich. And I'm not joking. There's a scene in this trailer where Robert De Niro kills their peacock and serves it to them as dinner <laughs> and he's like what you never see what the forget about it like they do all the weird italian jokes and i was felt very uncomfortable watching it but it seems like it's going to be an interesting movie and so i feel like italians might like it it's kind of a meet the fockers kind of robert de niro movie it is very much a meet the fockers robert de niro except he's a full-on italian mobster in this one right oh then that, that yeah. could that could be funny and uh but the italian language to hear people speak Italian is is very beautiful and uh, nobody knows that more than the Italian government and now they want to make everything sound just like that kinda uh, Italy's ruling party oh wait wait you gotta we missed one quick thing oh yeah there, we Martin. did yeah. yeah yeah you gotta hit that so yeah. this is just proof that um, anything an Italian says sounds amazing so this is just a, a, a chef that I found off TikTok this, I swear to you, this man is just talking about ingredients of food, and it sounds like the most sexy thing you've ever heard in your life. Yeah. Listen. Yeah. 
parmigiano grattugiato, burro, spinaci, croissant, uova e aceto. E l'amore. And that's how you make a boiled egg. <laughs> Croissant. <laughs> wow, yeah, no, that does sound uh, very delicious. And uh, yeah, and like I was saying, uh, the, the Italian government uh, has introduced a law, because it sounds like that, they've introduced a law that seeks to ban governments and corporations from using English in official communications under threat of fines up to 100,000 euros. That's about 150,000 bucks. So this means you can't use any English in official documents. Italian has to be the primary language used in offices, even if you're speaking to foreigners. And saying bruschetta instead of bruschetta could be a punishable offence. But an opposition party has pointed out that Prime Minister Giorgio Maloney recently added the phrase made in Italy to the title of the industry minister. And critics have also pointed out that this bill is similar to a ban on foreign words under the fascist dictator Mussolini in the 30s. Another bill, part of Maloney's nationalist policies, is to ban lab-grown meat in an attempt to protect the Italian cuisine. So, so if you say bruschetta instead of bruschetta, or, yes. or vice versa? Yeah, which is still something I don't think most people know that or care, frankly, of how you pronounce it. It's like, it's just, especially like if you're getting, no, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, though, a friend of my wife's uh, years and years ago uh, was dating people and, you know, she was single and she didn't go on a second date with someone because they went to a restaurant and he ordered fettuccine instead of fettuccine. (laughs) That's not. Come on, even I know that. There's two C's, man. It's a ch, not a c. But is that a, is that a relationship deal breaker? Eh, forget about it. <laughs> forget about say. it. Ugh. Yeah, but they, they, they say that the spread of English demeans and mortifies the Italian language Jeez. and its popularity in Europe is even more paradoxical and negative now that the UK has left the European Union. Wow. It's, it's very harsh. I mean... It's tough because it's a very nationalistic policy. They want to protect their language, which I don't think there's anything inherently wrong in that. But I feel like this is not the right way to go about it, especially because there are so many. Italy is one of the most visited countries in the world for tourism, and they deal with a lot of foreigners that maybe buy property, rent property like they're going to be signing documents. They don't speak fluent Italian. And so they if they have to get their lawyers, now you have to get someone else that speaks Italian to translate. It's similar to you know what's happening in Quebec. And uh, it's uh, I feel like it's just an unnecessary way to go about protecting it. Maybe that maybe they've exhausted all the other issues. But to me, it just seems like a little bit overkill. Yeah, might be a little misguided. It still has a long way to go to get approval. It'll have to go uh, through both of Italy's House of Parliament to become law. But the legislation has the backing of uh, the Prime Minister Maloney. So. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see where that goes. Okay. Are you okay with Dairy Queen again? We talked about Dairy Queen yesterday. Again, I, I'm happy to talk about it. I uh, I've decided. I thought about this long and long and hard, and I think I know the best flavor of Blizzard, which is the Score Blizzard. Score. Right. Yes. The Score you get bar. The mix of the caramel. The nuts, the chocolate, vanilla ice cream. It's just a nice blend of, and, and also the texture is really good in that one. I think it does eclipse the Oreo one only slightly, but I'd have to go with that for the best DQ Blizzard. I don't know. I, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to not agree with the score okay. because the score is okay. just a little too sharp. Like literally hard and sharp, and it sticks to your teeth, and <laughs> yeah, it's valid. It's very caramelly, and it sticks to your teeth, and I think it gets in a, in the way of the the ice cream experience. Okay, so then what would you say is the best? Um, I you know I, I'm not a real sprinkles type guy with that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Oreo cookies, I I can, at least it's soft, but I, I'm Go not to. really sure. I'd have to look at the menu because I can't remember what the options are now. But, uh, when in doubt, just vanilla is fine. Yeah, ice cream. Yeah. Just, just. Uh, it's just ice cream. Yeah. I, and I do like chocolate ice cream. Can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. Can't but, go wrong, but man. we were talking about Dairy Queen yesterday. Um, and uh, well, I mean, before we get to the, I mean, this is kind of an exciting news story. This is news about Dairy Queen. But uh, we were talking about the uh, the Blizzard and how it was created in 1985 and it sold like millions in its first year. 
So imagine if you were that person who came up with, here's an idea. Why don't we take a banana? We'll cut it in half. We'll split the banana. I don't know what you want to call it, but we'll split the banana, put three dollops of ice cream, some whipped cream, maybe some cherries or a cherry, and, uh, and then we'll serve it, this, this split banana. I still haven't come up with a name for it, but this is my new idea. And imagine being that guy. Uh, yeah, you'd be going good. You know what's funny, actually? So uh, the blizzard, I was just reading now, mm-hmm. we have the, the text of 1985 becoming a staple on all the menus. But before the blizzard came back in 1985, Dairy Queen served thick milkshake called blizzards in the actual 1960s. And that's when they started doing the upside down cup thing oh. uh, because the original Blizzard sold for the premium price of just 50 cents in 1962, served in all the flavors. And uh, it was invented by a guy named Samuel Temperato who owned 64 Dairy Queens. Jeez, wow, man. It's nice. a lot of Dairy Queen. That's a lot of Dairy Queen. And uh, yeah, well, that's pretty cool. And and we should get to the, the newsworthy item in this story is because yesterday we were talking uh, uh, about that uh, big stolen spoon. This spoon was like the size of the, of the building, right? It's huge. Yeah. Huge. Well, the, incredibly, the stolen spoon has been found thanks to Pikachu. Well, it's a plot as thick as this blizzard. Who stole this 15-foot red spoon and why? The massive utensil was discovered right next to this middle school. The man who found it was playing a video game on his phone. This is what we were all looking for. Michael Foster was actually playing Pokemon Go in West Phoenix. Oh, which I do every morning. I was walking through the park and decided I wanted to catch a few more Pokemon. But this morning, instead of finding Pikachu, he found the huge 15-foot red spoon on this field near Atkinson Middle School. Foster says he knew it was stolen from our Arizona's family newscast. I had just seen the story last night on Channel 3, and uh, I... I couldn't believe I was looking right at the spoon everybody's been looking for. The gamers set aside catching them all and called Phoenix police. They were extremely happy to see the spoon. The spoon traveled from the Dairy Queen near 52nd Avenue and Thomas to the middle school less than two miles away, giving people in this area a real brain freeze. It was wild. <laughs> God, that guy dropped so many puns in that story. It's just a big four. Nice work, CBC, CBS well 5. Yeah, I'd give it everybody a brain freeze. Well, Phoenix Mayor Kate Gallego says she was happy the spoon had been recovered, saying in a tweet, oh boy, are you ready for this? They I scooped am. it up from a schoolyard this morning. Oh, they lo- they yeah. love to laugh in uh, Phoenix, do. don't they? Um, and police over the weekend released surveillance footage uh, from March 25th that showed two men and one woman get the spoon out of its base and put it on a large flatbed connected to a pickup truck. And the owners of the Dairy Queen said last week that they uh, want, really, really wanted to get it back. Um, this, this couple that own it, Ramon and Puya Kalra, uh, own 34 locations. Wow. Yeah, so there you go. We were talking about how it's kind of a mom and pop thing, but uh, that's a lot of Dairy Queens. It's a lot of Dairy Queens. There's uh that's well, I feel like every Dairy Queen should have a giant spoon now cuz it's a pretty awesome little uh piece of character on the uh the fast food restaurant, which let's face it, all fast food restaurants look the same and feel the same now. They don't have the flair that they used to when I was growing up in the 90s in early 2000s. So, hey, if Dairy Queen yeah. wants to bring out big spoons, I'm all for it. Yeah. I, I grew up in uh, Richmond, B.C., not too far from, I think, the very first McDonald's in Canada. And uh, Really? Oh, yeah, cool. and, and it was like there's barely anywhere to sit down. I think you could only sit down outside when it first opened. I was very... Yeah, they didn't want people to eat in there. Just yeah. take it and go, right? Take it and go. Very little. So uh, that is Are You Okay With? And uh, we got a great text. Our text number is 877-399-9898. Check this out. It says, Hi, Martin, Ryan, and Jono. Ryan, the best blizzard is a Reese's Pieces and the Peanut Butter O'Henry. So good. Ooh. But it seems to be seasonal. That's Satina in Calgary. Seasonal. 
See, my exposure to peanut butter candies is incredibly minimal because my brother is allergic to it. So I never really had those flavors growing up, but I will, I will, I will look for that and I will try that. And if I can find it, I will, I will, I will give you my seal of approval if I think it is superior to the score, which will be tough to top. I will admit. Yeah. Well, I, like I say, I, I don't really like the crunchy, the hard crunchy stuff on my ice cream, fine. but Reese's Pieces, but a peanut butter or Henry bar. You know, like that. Mm, I, yeah, I, yeah I, I think that could be good. I, I'm going to, I'm going to write, I really, I must be hungry or something. I'm, I'm very hungry. Yeah. I'm very hungry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I I'm, shouldn't have put all the food are you okay's together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I may have to have a blizzard for breakfast or something. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.